You know it's estimated in America that about one-third of the crops that are produced every year go to waste. You know that? I didn't realize that for a long time, and I, uh, I learned about it because I worked with a group called uh, Society of St. Andrews, and, and what they do is they do gleaning where farmers let them come in their fields or go to the produce houses where they sort out all the, the um, produce and cull it. Uh, some of it would not be acceptable for market because of its size. Maybe there's a blemish on it, but it's really real good to eat. And they find those things and bring it back and try to get it into the diets of people who otherwise wouldn't have it. Second, Harvest Food Bank is really a resource like that recovering processed foods so that they don't go to waste. That stands over against hunger. And you and I know how tragic it would be if we let food go to waste when they're hungry people. Now, I use that as a starting point because our story is about a farmer and about crops in the field and about the necessity of workers to go into it. Recognize that it's really a a story about the kingdom of God. So why it's true about real crops, that is real food, being produced and being cared for. In the telling of the story, it's also about the souls of people. That really is the crop that uh, God has is concerned about in the kingdom, and he is interested in they know how important it is, what is being done, and how critical it is that we are about God's work. We first hear the story, I think what jumps out at most people's mind is that it's a, it's a story of economics. Uh, you know, you have a farmer who's a businessman and his labor pool are day laborers and he knows what the going wage is and he goes out each uh, day when he needs people and goes to that location, his community, and gets the group to go out, work in his field, pays them at the end of the day. That's a very business-like approach, still used in many places today. A lot of people in the world work for a day's wage, paid at the end, and that's the way their subsistence living happens. That's the story we're in. We read about it, and what catches us in the story, what I suspect you first think when you hear it, is that's not fair. You know? That's the theme that comes through. There's a farmer who hires one group in the morning, one group at 5 o'clock in the evening. They're only going to work at 6. He pays all of them the same amount, and the people who've been working all day, I think they've been standing in line watching what the, the first ones received and thought, man, how much am I going to get? They dreamed up, they only been here an hour. I'm going to get eight times as much as they are. Well, maybe not that big a dream, maybe even twice since they'd worked so long. And when they get that agreed upon salary, that one denarii put in their hands, they are very disappointed. You know, they set themselves up for it because they thought if he's only going to be fair. Work is a place where... Uh, a place where all of us are able to do something. And in the analogy used to the farmer, he's saying that there is room in God's kingdom for all of us to be at work. No need to have bystanders. Uh, How and when and where is something we are looking for as Christians, but God has a way of us knowing uh, here a part of his kingdom, and he wants us to be a part of it with him. The shock of unequal pay comes back to us, I suspect in our mind, we would think, you know, the next time that guy comes out, I'm waiting to the three o'clock shift anyway. You know, I'm not going to go out at seven in the morning or daybreak and when it is and start in the field, I'm going to wait till it's almost over. 
and you think, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Instead of thinking, now what are we about? What is he trying to say to us? It speaks to us about God's generosity and kindness. We use the word unfair, and we think about unfairness and uh, wish that he'd been different about it. Let me give you a definition of unfairness. It's, I think, up here on the screen for us. Uh, unfairness uh, is, and this is one definition, uh, it is getting what you do not deserve or it's getting what you, or it's not getting what you do deserve. And it's getting what you don't deserve or not getting what you do deserve. Now, you and I can understand that, but let's put that in the setting of our faith. Because it means that God is acting unfair when God is forgiving us, when God is in his generosity providing the gift of his son Jesus that we can have not just a life here, but a real renewed life of his kingdom. The fact is, when we think about God being unfair, we should thank him for his unfairness. Because in that, God has provided for all of us. The story has in it an attitude about the people who are working. Uh, when I was growing up, my parents, one description they had of their discipline of us was this. It is an attitude adjustment. Do you ever get any attitude adjustments in your life? Now, it may take the form of different kinds of discipline. The idea when you get through is you're not going to behave that way anymore, are you? No, I'm not, I'm not going to behave that way. And I got a lot of attitude adjustments in my life along the way. And some of them really sunk in. They really did, at least for a while, to the need for another one that came later. And that's how I learned. And in our story, it's calling us to have an attitude adjustment about what, when we see others who come to the faith much later than we have, how do we respond to it? I say that because most every Sunday, including this one, we have people sitting in our sanctuary, maybe for the very first time. We want to say to you, welcome, and we hope you're going to come again. But you know, there's, there's a selfish side that may be in us too. We want to confess that to you. We tell you we're working on this. That's the attitude that can be. You know, I've been here for a long time, and, and I have my place. I don't want anybody to sit in it. And you're looking around and saying, uh-oh, have I gotten in somebody's place or not? Or, nope, I know this one's mine. That's what we can have. We can have an idea that, you know, I've been here longer. I should have my rightful seat. I've been here longer, and so, uh, you know, I should get more benefits out of being here And you mean someone brand new can walk in and belong just like I can? And God says, well, yes, they can. What's more, it's your job to welcome them. It's even to go out where they are and bring them in and treat them as though they've always been here. Part of the good news of the gospel is always this, whether you accept Jesus as a child or you accept him later in your life, even up to the last moment, you can be as much a child of God's as anyone. Now, the other side of that analogy is, of course, that when you accept Christ early in your life, you have an opportunity for a lifetime of serving and pleasing Him, which is great joy. When you wait to the last minute, we may have spent our life in indifference or in selfishness, and you can't recover that opportunity anymore. It is past. So we're urging, as we make that journey, to do it early to find our stepping into the faith 
And we do it not just because we expect God to give us something. Let me give you another quote called Do Ut Deus. It's a Latin term that was found on Roman shrines in the writing of the scripture in that era of time. And this is what it means. It means I give in order to receive something in return. Their concept was that while we worship any God except we hope when we worship him, he's going to give us back something, a God of of the sun might be to give us warmth for our crops or water for our fields. We're worshiping God for something we get back. Job responds to that idea in his very first chapter. He says, will someone serve God for nothing? It's a question. We serve God if he's not going to give us something in particular we're looking for. And we have to come up with our answer because, of course, God is giving us something more Maybe not that, maybe not that at a time or a moment we want it, but God is certainly the one who does great giving. We're thankful. We hear the text that there is a, there are many who go out and work in the, uh, in God's field. They have a part in it and God can use us. If there is an, a problem in the text, uh, in the response of people, it's that of idleness. A sense that where, in theirs, people standing around all day when they could have gone to work. The same thing is inside the church, if we become believers, and many of you and I are, and we are so satisfied with that that we then think basically our task is to satisfy ourselves, to keep up with ourselves, and other than that, we have nothing to do. That is idleness. That sense of no work, no accomplishment, no responsibility, no part of a goal or a movement that God has for his people. And we miss out the joy of what God has. And the sad part is, just like the fresh food that sits in the uh, field and rots, if no one goes and gleans it, so the lives pass that God could use if we're not a part of that great work. It is a critical work in the kingdom. You may call it a timely work. That God knows that we have opportunities every day. I think of life that way. Every day is an opportunity. I don't like to think of just an opportunity to make money. A lot of folks think of that way. I think it's an opportunity to to love people around you, to love your family. It's an opportunity also to express our faith somewhere. Paul uh, wrote uh, in the book of Acts, he said, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he said, I have sown the seed, meaning the seed of the gospel. Apollos, who was a great preacher in that time, has watered it, but it is God who brings about the growth. They recognize that we are a part of a team. I like that, don't you? We're not individually out there taking care of everything for anyone. We're a part of all God is doing uh, some are good at seed sowing. That means that they like to talk to the person who doesn't yet know much about the love of God and let them know how good it is. And God loves them also trying in our relationships and compassionate words to share the good news of Jesus. Many of us are about the watering business. That is, we, we uh, teach Sunday school Uh, We guide in our youth group or other ministries in our church, and we help people to grow. That's our goal, to grow inside the faith. We don't ourselves pretend to know it all by any measure, but we help others to grow. So we are about watering. That's a wonderful thing to do for the crop. 
What happens to crops that get no water? They dry up. So all of us need watering. But he said always, it is God who brings about the growth. We're depending on God's part, and he never fails. We do our part, God will always do his. But he's asking us to take part in the kingdom. Wherever you are, don't hide from it, don't ignore it. That's the tragic part if we ignore it, because it's critical. How do we see the harvest? Another passage is found in Matthew 9, beginning at verse 37. Uh, He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to God who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. He's saying, don't you see it? It is out there. There's a lot that God is doing there. There are times when the fruit is ready. Each uh, June, I like to go and it's the only thing I really ever harvest is blueberries. There's a farm down near Midway, and I like to go there. They also sell Christmas trees, Brewers, I think is the name of it. And I talk to the owner. He's a member of the Midway Church, and we have good discussions every time. I really enjoy that. But I go out to pick blueberries. I've learned some things about blueberry picking. I learned that you can go out there, you can take your bucket, you can walk up the tree and say, jump in, blueberry, and nothing happens. Absolutely nothing. I learned, though, that there's a, a technique to picking them well, And you just take your hand and run up in that blueberries. There's a lot of them, by the way. And you just kind of roll them in between your fingers. And if they are ripe and ready, they break away real easily. A handful at a time. Put them in your bucket. Just do that over and over and over. You'll get a few that are green. you got to pick out and a little bit of trash. But you know, you're doing it. You keep doing it. The joy is, I'll usually... Uh, pick about three to five gallons a couple of times, and, and we'll eat those. Freeze a little bit, give some to friends, and, and for about a month and a half, we eat all the blueberries we could possibly eat. But you know, if you don't go pick them, it'll never happen. You got to get out there. You got to enjoy it. And there's other people around us usually picking. You can talk to them a while. Uh, watch the birds as they're flying around. Avoid the snakes that are occasionally there. Just part of it, you know. And, uh, and be thankful the beauty in that day. Some folks don't stay long because it gets too hot. How about us in the harvest business? I, I love fruit. I love blueberries. I love that opportunity to go and do it. And I know that if somebody doesn't do it, it'll go to waste. Same thing is true in God's kingdom, in his field. And if we don't reach out and touch people when the opportunity is there, they may miss the chance they can make the difference. Thought about yourself that way? You can be the chance that makes the difference. The opportunity can be in front of you. It's trying to have a sense of urgency I find the most difficult to create. Again, we often get contented that we come, that our own faith is nurtured, that we grow in our faith. We feel somewhat confident in that, and that's not bad. But is it enough? I've got a short video I want you to see. I didn't want you to hear the end part, too, okay? (laughs) It all sounds funny, doesn't it? It really is funny. It's something about our excuses, though. You know, we can make them up over and over in the middle of the urgency of the hour. Oh, I can't. I'm just not good. I don't know. Well, we can help. All the excuses, well, we can help. That's as much what the story is about. He says, I have a harvest, and it's ripe. I need laborers. 
and you make all the difference. It's about putting God in front. God is the farmer. We are among the many workers he's sending into his harvest. The fact is that some join us later in the work and benefit fully from God's work shouldn't bring anything to us but joy. We should get over our own satisfaction that we're included in the harvest and turn our attention to the work of bringing others in. The building of relationships is how we do it best. My challenge to you is that in this week, you make an effort daily to meet someone new, someone whom you've never met before. Maybe in that, God's going to put someone in front of you that you can help. Someone that you recognize as an opportunity to be in God's harvest in some way. The building of relationships is often the foundation under which we can do that. And I encourage you to begin new ones. Oh yes, keep the old ones. Tend to them. But to reach new ones as well. Would you pray with me? Now Father, we often make our excuses about why we cannot. When you tell us everything about how much we must. We thank you you trust us with something so precious. It scares us in some ways. We feel inadequate in others. But somehow you've said to us, you've chosen us to be a part of that work. Lord, help us to find courage, see opportunities, and to step forward in your work in this week. In Christ we pray. Amen.